Uh, on guitar today is Sean Gabrielson, and Sean has joined our staff as our new worship coordinator. So if you see Sean bumping around, don't be alarmed by the hair. Just introduce yourself. <laughs> I personally am jealous of the hair, um, but we can't, we can't all be as cool as Sean. We can try. But he is uh, very gifted, and we are excited to have him as part of our team, uh, helping us out here. And uh, it's been really great to get to know him over the last couple weeks. So anyway, if you see Sean, say good morning and hello, and I'm sure he'd be glad to talk to you for a little bit. So uh, two weeks ago, my wife went to Chicago, and I talked about that a little bit and the time that we had in Chicago. But she uh, flew out on Wednesday morning, and I was going to be coming to Chicago on Friday, and that meant that I had to have two days uh, of the kids to myself. Now, we have four kids. I am a very capable human, but four kids is a lot of kids, man. Uh, and uh, I had two days of these children to myself, and I always, 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 when I have the kids to myself, want to prove just how capable I am. I want to prove that I can handle it, that it's, that it's all good, man. Like, there's no problems here at home. Like, I've got this totally under control. And inevitably what happens is that she'll call at some point and she'll check in and uh, ask how it's going. And um, my voice always goes up a little bit when I, you know, need to really make my points. So, it's all good. Oh, it's awesome. Like, nobody's got pink eye. Like, it's great. Um, and, uh, and then inevitably, right, the kids start fighting in the background, and, and I start weeping openly and telling her that I haven't done any laundry, and uh, there's dishes piled in the sink, but I'll have it all cleaned up when she gets home, right? I mean, so I want to be capable. I want to pretend that I have it all together. I want uh, her to think that I can do it, um, but it always catches up with me that I can't, and that's why we have each other, right? Like, uh, she and I don't have to do this thing alone, which is really beautiful. Uh, and so I, I always want her to think that I can do it all by myself, but the truth always catches up with me. So this morning we are still uh, in our Acts series, and we are calling this series Together. Together. And uh, at the beginning I talked about this, but I just want to reiterate that as uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Suzanne and I were uh, talking about this series and we were looking through Acts and we were trying to uh, kind of determine how we would break things up and things like that, we were really struck by this idea of together. Because throughout Acts, over and over and over again, we see the early church in this space. They're with each other. They're eating meals together. They're praying together. They're going to worship together. They are spending their lives together. That is just a constant thing in the book of Acts. And in our passage today, we're going to see uh, a really beautiful example of togetherness. We're going to see what the best of the early church was. We're going to see how wonderful it can be when we are together. And then immediately after that, we're going to see what happens when someone tries to undermine that togetherness. We're going to see the outcome of, of people who uh, were not committed to togetherness. And so it's really uh, both sides of the coin this morning in the book of Acts. And it's kind of a crazy passage, but I don't want to say too much more about it than that. Let's get into it. This is Acts, and we're going to start um, at the end of chapter 4 in verse 32, and we're going to read through chapter 5, verse 11. All the believers were in one heart and mind. They're together. 
No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, and this uh, Barnabas guy is going to show up later. He becomes a missions companion with Paul, okay? This is Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. This man sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried it out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so, um, super fun passage, right? Who would like me to uh, pass the offering plate around again? Okay, we're going to do it at the end. Okay, you can do it then. Uh, it's a crazy. This is a wild path. This is crazy stuff here, man. I mean, this is like a crazy passage. And uh, before we get into it, there's a few things that I want to say uh, just to kind of maybe create some context here um, and, uh, and hopefully, you know, help us ease into this thing. Um, and so I just want to say these things. First, I think it's important that we, when we read scripture and when we come together as a people here for the preaching and the teaching of the word, that we work through the Bible all of it. Uh, even the parts like this that would be a lot easier for me to not get into this morning because it's awkward and it's strange and it's kind of a wild story that this thing happened at all. Um, but I, I really love that we uh, preach through books a lot at this church because it inevitably brings you into contact with passages that uh, create discomfort or make us wonder what's going on, or make us ask deeper questions. It causes us to wrestle. And so um, I just want to say that that's something that I am so glad we get to do together, um, that we don't just pick out the stuff that makes us feel good or doesn't challenge us too much, but that we are, are really working the way through. So as strange as this story is, uh, we can't deny that it's in the Bible, and so I'm glad that we are getting a chance to talk about it. Uh, second, I want us to keep in mind the difference between things that are prescriptive and things that are descriptive. 
prescriptive is when the, when the words of Scripture are, are informing us about how to think and how to believe and how to act. Uh, and descriptive is when the words of Scripture are telling us about something that happened. This story has both. Uh, it's prescriptive that we should not be lying to God and the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's, that's a prescriptive thing that we should learn this morning. That's a, that would be a no-no. Okay? Let's not do that. Let's not lie to the Holy Spirit. But I don't believe that it's descriptive that if you do that, you're going to drop dead on the spot. Uh, I, my, my hope is not that we would all leave here today and wonder if we're next on God's hit list. Okay? That is not, like, that's not the point of this passage for us this morning. So uh, let's just keep that in mind. Sometimes it's descriptive. Sometimes it's prescriptive. It's a little bit of both. Um, and, uh, and I don't think the passage uh, purpose is to make us afraid this morning. Okay. With that said, let's, let's get weird. Um, so I wanted to start, make sure that we started at the end of chapter 4 this morning because uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira is told in contrast to the story of this guy named Barnabas. So uh, Luke, who, who writes the book of Acts, sets up the scene of Ananias and Sapphira by first telling us about how beautiful this early church community is. Uh, the, 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 the church was all together. All the believers were of one heart and mind. Everybody was sharing. There was nobody who had any need. There was this beautiful sense of, of uh, reciprocity and sharing and people coming together. There was this beautiful community was growing up where people were feeling a belonging and they were feeling loved and, and cared for. And it was this really great place. And Barnabas is set up as kind of like the peak, the pinnacle, the symbol for this movement. This guy named Barnabas becomes kind of like the, the emblem for this style of sharing of resources and this style of, of togetherness. Barnabas is kind of the guy. He's all in. And so he's selling property and he's sharing his resources and he is fully engaged in community. But as soon as Luke gets done telling us how wonderful and beautiful and uh, unbelievable this community is, all the believers are together, as soon as he gets done telling that, he tells us, well, maybe not all. Maybe not everybody, because there's this guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and they, uh, they're not really engaged, like Barnabas is. They're not really into it. So uh, my family just got a new puppy, which is crazy, uh, but you know, that's us. We got this puppy, and her name is Olive, and she's, uh, she's a Jackapoo, which is like a Jack Russell Poodle mix, and she's uh, adorable, you guys. She's beautiful and wonderful. She fills my heart with gladness, and, uh, and my children with glee, and it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Also, she is piddling inside a lot, <laughs> and she bites me, you know? Uh, it's, yeah, you know, she's playing, she's a puppy, but, you know, she's got sharp little teeth, and so it's both, right? Like, she's wonderful and beautiful, and uh, what was my life without Olive? It was meaningless. Um, but now I have her, uh, but also I'm cleaning up a lot uh, after Olive, which is not ideal, right? Both of these things are, are existing, and my paper towel budget is through the roof. Um, so that, that's like this story, right? Luke is telling us the flip side. We have this beautiful community, and we've been learning about this beautiful community for four chapters, how, how they're coming together, how it's this wonderful place of sharing resources. But he's also telling us there's, there's conflict, there's drama, there's a shadow side to what's going on, and it's really kind of quite shocking to us. This married couple sells some property, they decide they're going to keep some of the profits and bring the rest to the disciples. 
And based on what Peter says, that's not really a problem. They could have sold a property and brought 5%, 10%, whatever they wanted to the apostles. They did not have to bring everything. The problem was that they said they brought everything. And so they sell this property and they bring it uh, to the apostles and they lay it down and they claim that it's something that it's not. There's no rule that says they have to give 100%, but they are claiming to have given 100% when they really haven't. And, uh, and that's really where the problem in this passage comes in. That's really where the issue lies. Um, because the lie right there is what signs their death certificate. And they both tell the lie, separate of each other. They both have an opportunity to tell the truth, and neither one of them take it. And they both choose to live into this falsehood. And so they get the same outcome. I just real quickly want to say, I spent a lot of my time this week trying to figure out why this punishment was so severe. Um, and, and there's a lot of ideas that people have about why this punishment was so severe. I have some ideas about why this punishment was so severe. But after I looked and studied, I kind of got this feeling, this sense, whatever you want to call it, that that's not really the right question. But if, but if we were supposed to know why the punishment was so severe, we would be told that. And ultimately, as much as uh, I wish I could understand everything, life and death belong to God, not to me. And justice and mercy belong to God, not to me. And I want to know why they couldn't have just been, like, kicked out for a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, that wouldn't be so bad, right? Like, why does it seem so harsh? And I don't have a good answer for you on that point this morning. But ultimately, I don't think that's what we're supposed to think about when we come to this passage. I had to work through all about why is this so severe to really get to what I think God has for us here this morning. And that is the, the reality that Ananias and Sapphira were attacking the community. They were attacking the foundations of this community, and God acted in protection of the community. So in the course of 17 verses in this to, uh, in this passage we read, we have seen a huge swing in the way that the early church is being described. It's great, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's utopian, it's terrible, and people are dying. Like, just like, lights out, right? And so, what, what is it? What's the truth here? What is the real thing that's happening? Uh, my daughter Eliza has some special needs, and I've talked about her before, and she, uh, she does uh, physical therapy, and right now she's in the middle of an eight-week physical therapy unit uh, where she goes three mornings a week, and uh, she gets hooked in, uh, there's all these bungees that kind of support her, and so she can work out muscles that she's not usually working out. She's trying to strengthen all these parts of herself that she doesn't usually strengthen. And some mornings she's like pretty cool with that, and some mornings she looks at me like I'm just the worst, and you know, that that's okay. Um, if you ask me today how Eliza is doing, I would tell you Eliza's doing good. Eliza's doing good. Um, she's doing things uh, right now that I haven't seen her do before. It seems like uh, she's a little more alert. She smiles uh, more than she was doing a few months ago. She was giggling while we were uh, moving the cart through Target yesterday, and every time she giggles, it's like the whole world is a little bit better, right? So if you ask me how she's doing, I'd probably tell you she's doing pretty good. But also, it's really tough. Um, she needs to have some of her medications changed up right now. And we've got doctor's appointments with specialists lined up. And, uh, you know, and she's going to turn three in December, but she's still not really developing like a three-year-old should or even a two-year-old should. So it's tough. It's good, and it's tough. And that's the reality of life. It's good, and it's tough. 
This community is together, and there are people trying to undermine who they are. There's good and there's bad. There's, there's easy and there's hard. Life is both, and community is both. Luke tells the story of the early church and the beautiful community that was growing and the sharing of resources and the amazing wonders that are being done. And he tells then the story of some folks who tried to undermine that community. And apparently the danger that they posed to the community was so great that God had to take action on behalf of the community. God didn't call Peter to take the action. God didn't call the apostles to take the action. The threat to community was so great that God decided to take action on behalf of the community. And what Luke really doesn't say here, but what should be pretty clear to us, is that while there are two extremes presented, we have Barnabas who is willing to sell everything he has and give it all away, and there's Ananias and Sapphira who are committed to uh, themselves more than they are the community. These are the extremes. There are always a lot of people in the middle of that. Normal people who come to the community because they love what's happening. Normal folks who just want to be part of togetherness. Normal people who have need. Maybe sometimes they can help. Maybe sometimes they have to receive. And they're just living into this space. They're not Barnabas, right? St. Barnabas. And they're not Ananias and Sapphira who become kind of like the worst characters in the Bible from this point on. Like, they don't fit into either of those extremes. They're just normal people who are committed to being together. And that's the thing. They're committed to being together. They're committed to community. Ananias and Sapphira represented a threat to the community because you can't have real community if you're not willing to be real. You can't experience true togetherness if you don't actually bring yourself and the truth of who you are to the place where people are together. They wanted, Ananias and Sapphira, wanted to be revered in the community. They wanted to be respected by the community. They wanted to have status within the community for people to look at them and say, wow, that's Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a whole plot of land and gave all the money to the community. That's what they wanted and were after. But they weren't really committed to the community. They weren't really committed to the church. They wanted status and prestige, but in a community built on the sharing of life together, status is not found in how much money you can give, but how much of yourself you're willing to share. I'm going to say that again, because it's still true for us today. In a community that is, that is designed to be together, to share life with one another, your status and, and what your value is to that community is not measured by how many dollars you bring. It's measured by how much of yourself you're willing to bring. And that can involve money, that can involve talents, that can involve time, whatever it is, it's how much of yourself you're willing to share. And that's not easy for us. That's not easy for me, at least. I think it's our American tendency to project the best self that we want others to think of us. It's fine. Oh my gosh, it's so good, right? Like, that's our American tendency. That everything is great. It's so good. Thank you for asking. Um, sharing ourselves is a scary proposition. Putting ourselves out there and actually being real with other people 
is an uncomfortable place to be. If you ask me if I'd rather write a check or share my personal struggles with somebody, I would ask how much? Check, not struggles, right? I mean, that's gonna be my, my first place that I go. But that's not what God calls us to when he calls us to be together. That's not the way God intended us to build our communities, and that's not the vision that Luke shares over and over in Acts. This aspirational vision of a community that shares resources together, that shares life together. This aspirational view of the church where I can come to you and tell you that I'm in need and you can meet me there. Um, if we really want community, then we really have to be willing to get that real together. And in the book of Acts, and in this chapter in particular, the, the need is always considered to be financial. And it may be for some of us that we have financial need that we need to bring to our community and ask for help on. But that might not be our only need this morning. We might need uh, things to repair relationships in our lives. We might need just a friend to walk through us in a struggle. We might need somebody to listen to us, to hear us out. We, our needs don't only have to be financial. They are the needs that all of us carry every single day. And can we carry them into our communities and be real? Can we carry them together? If we can then I promise you that you'll find something beautiful. Because when you come to the community and admit your needs and share your struggles, you'll not only find that there are others there to lift you up, but that somehow in your need and in your struggle, you will be bringing something to someone else. We never come into community as only receivers or only givers. We, we never come into community as, as only people, I'm so down and out that all I can do is receive. We are also always giving. And there's this beautiful reciprocity that exists within community when we bring our real selves. When we bring ourselves with our needs and our gifts. And we come together and this beautiful thing is created. Even if you are here this morning and you feel like you have nothing to offer, I promise you that God has blessed you and given you something that this community and the other communities that you find yourself in need. That's how the body of Christ works. That's why we get the metaphor uh, later on in, in Scripture of, of the knees and the elbows and the eyes and the ears and all these things need to play a different part. And we can't look at each other and say, well, you don't have what I need, so I don't need you. Or I have what you need, so you need me. We need each other. That's how the body of Christ works. This morning we're going to be uh, taking communion together. And I... Uh, I I feel like I say I don't know too much. That's probably not a good pastor talk. Um, but there are things that I don't know. And one of the things that I don't understand is the mystery that this is representation of the body of Christ, and we also are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and we are going to partake of the body of Christ. That's this mysterious stuff. What I do believe is that, is that God shows up when we come to the table. God shows up every time we come together, but God shows up when we come to the table. 
And when we come as the body and are willing to come together as, as true community, we bring our real selves. And when we come to the table, all of us are in need of what this body represents. Salvation, forgiveness, freedom. Jesus has enough of that for all of us. And as we partake this morning, I pray that we would have this truth ingrained in us that because Jesus is enough, now we can give ourselves away to each other. And we can give and receive in community in this space. If the uh, elders would like to come forward this morning, we're going to pass uh, the bread. Just hold on to your bread, and then they'll come back around, and they will pass the juice, and you hold on to the juice, and we'll all take it together. Um, Communion is always a very uh, special time. We only do it a few times a year here. Um, but every time we do it, I, I appreciate the moment to reflect on the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. Um, and so I pray that as they pass out these elements today, that you would just take a moment to reflect on what Christ has done for you in your life uh, and, and the difference that he has made for you.